Let's begin by turning in our copy of the scriptures, please, to Proverbs chapter 4. And I'm going to sit down. I might be in a little better off than I was last week. I'm not sure of that. I did go into the ER. I did something to my, my hip. I don't know what it is. I went into the ER, and they don't know any more than I do. And so we'll see how it goes. My wife sends her greetings. I texted her this morning. She's in North Carolina with our daughter, son-in-law, and family in the military there. And she's having a good time. She sent me a picture of her feet by the swimming pool. <laughs> so and that, no commentary on it or anything, just that. So, Pardon me? No comment necessary. Yeah. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Before we begin, who would like to lead us in prayer? And a young person could do that if you'd like. And let's remember pastor's family too. Who would lead us in prayer this morning? All right, let's do it, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and study your word. Lord, we pray for pastor and family as they... They're on vacation, Lord. We just ask that you just bless their time. Lord, give them rest and, and Lord, just a peace about it. And Lord, we pray that you'd watch over them as they travel and, and travel safely and that the, the vehicle will run smoothly. And Lord, we just pray now that you be with us as we study your word and, and Lord, be with Brother Bill as he, as he brings the lesson. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The word for heart here is the whole of the being, including and especially the mind. So if you read it or if you translated it, keep your mind with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life, that would be that would be accurate to say that. One of the so-called greatest discoveries of the former century is that your thoughts control your actions. I remember talking to unbelievers about the impact of commercials on our mind. And they just, TV commercials, radio commercials, and they just dismissed it, that's silly. And then you think of even years ago, I don't even know what it is the last few years, I'm not a sports fan, but Super Bowl, and what people pay, the millions of dollars that advertisers pay for a 15 second slot. I don't have a television, haven't had one for years. Incidentally, a commentary. I don't have a television, not because I'm so holy. I don't have a television because I'm so unholy. I don't need that, I didn't figure our children needed that, so we have not had a television. I don't even know if they have 15, minute, 15 second increments, but anyway, millions of dollars. And yet, what you see doesn't control your actions. What you think about doesn't control. How silly could that be? Why would people spend all that money if that's just for entertainment? And that doesn't cause you to go out and buy. I, I did follow up on, I, you know, I have, I have, I can be online or whatever, and a couple of years ago, a Dorito, Mate was the most influential commercial, and they spent about 12 bucks to make this Dorito commercial, these people who did it, and, and it was one of the big heroes of the, of the commercials. Uh, you're, you, what you see affects you. I remember after I accepted Christ, I was 19 years old, and I knew nothing about Christianity. 
uh, I heard, I went to church. I was working in a sawmill. The guy asked me to church. Uh, it turned out he was a preacher. They had a missionary that week. I went to church. I heard that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. I didn't know that. I heard that Christ died for me personally. I didn't know that. I heard that I was a sinner. I certainly knew that. And that if I would receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, I would be born again. I don't know if I ever heard the term born again. I, I really don't know if, if I heard that or not. I knew absolutely nothing. And that night, hearing that much, hearing John chapter 1, verse 12, to as many as receive him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God. I remember thinking, well, that contradicts what my mama taught me. Uh, we were raised as Christian scientists, and we were taught that everyone is a child of God. And that really does make sense. It's not true. But, you know, you stop and think about that. If God made us, and I don't know where I would have gotten that idea, but if God made us, then he loves everybody, and everybody is a child of God. Now, see, I would say that synonymously, and we can't take that synonymously. He does love everybody, but that doesn't make you a child of God. But that verse said, if... To as many as receive him, receive Christ, to them gave he the power to become children of God. So I accepted Christ that night here in the gospel for the very first time. I accepted Christ. And, and he changed me. And positionally I was changed. But then as a matter of practicality, I, I needed to cultivate the godliness. We're going to be talking about marks in the morning service. We're going to be talking about birthmarks of authentic Christianity and I had some of those birthmarks without even knowing what they were. I wouldn't have known some of that stuff. I wouldn't have known the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. I certainly wouldn't have known that. But I remember going over to the pastor's house, Roger Faust. I buried him last year, 93 years old. I was privileged to have his service. And I remember going over to the house, and he was a big baseball fan. And this was before the days of remote control. And I went to the house, and he's sitting in the living room watching television, asked if I wanted to watch the ball game with him, and I had no interest, but I said yes. And there's a cord running from the television to, now we would know it's, it's kind of remote, but it had a cord. And whenever the commercials would come on, he would turn the television off, kind of glance at his watch, and we would visit. It, I mean, it was one of those casual things that wasn't rude at all for him to be watching television. I showed up unannounced, and we're just watching the game. And, and then I asked him about that. I said, why do you turn the commercials off? And he says, I don't want the commercials affecting my mind. Now, I'm a brand new believer. And I remember thinking, wow, I never heard anything like that before. Guard your mind, for out of it are the issues of life. Could it, could it be that simple? If that is simple, or, or maybe it's profound. Guard your mind. Guard what goes into your mind. And so we, we learn from that. And we're going we're gonna to look at this, this verse and other verses too. But understand that your thoughts control your actions. If you want to change the way you act, change the way you think. And Solomon had it figured out. We just figured it out the, the uh, century before, Solomon had it figured out when he said this, guard your mind, guard your heart with all diligence. So the Bible teaches that your thoughts influence, and this is by, this is by no means all-inclusive. Uh, 
And young people, if you can get a hold of this as a young person, you'll be way ahead of a lot of us as adults. Number one, the Bible teaches that my paradigm, and that's P-A-R-A-D-I-G-M. I have a friend, a missionary friend in Eureka, who, who knows how to say it, but he likes to say it, paradigm, your paradigm. Your paradigm influences your situation. Paradigm, paradigm is the way you see things, but more than that. We can't say paradigm is the way you see things, period, let's move on. Paradigm is the way you see things. It's your view, it's your perspective, and I think in your notes, I left some blanks there if you want to put paradigm, view, perspective, but it influences your situation. So your paradigm is not just the way you see things, but your paradigm is the action you take, the steps you take, because you see them that way. Often, it's not what happens that matters the most. It's how I see, how I choose to see what happens. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 2. This is a verse that's had an impact on me since I came to Christ. To those that I would teach on a regular basis, they would hear me say sometimes, this is one of the first verses I memorized, but then they hear me say that a lot. So I've learned to say, I memorized a lot of verses after I got saved. And this is one of the first ones. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or diverse situations, various situations. Verse three says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. So my brethren, count it all joy. And I remember teaching the churches we started. I always like to teach through James. James, James reminds me of an older brother who comes alongside of you and he's got some rough things to say, but he puts his hand on your shoulder and he says, now listen, I got to tell you this. And he does so with compassion. He does so with concerns. And I remember teaching, well, frequently, including now, count it all joy. That phrase in the original, now sometimes it helps us to see a word or a phrase and then find out how that word or that phrase was used in the day in which James was written. And that kind of helps us understand sometimes the word. That's a little different approach, not right or wrong, a different approach than looking at the word and saying, you know, the Greek word is this, this. We're actually looking at the phrase. And that phrase, count it all joy, was a phrase that was used when a conquering army would return after a victory. And the people would line the streets and they would say, hail, welcome, or count it all joy. Hail, welcome. When our son Clifford got cancer, uh, Clifford lived well. He knew Christ as his savior. He was in full-time service to the Lord. And Clifford died well. And when Clifford got cancer, he said, Dad, I want to count it all joy. I want to say, hail, welcome. See, that's a mindset. He got cancer. He never prayed that God would heal him of cancer. He wasn't critical of others who would pray that God would heal them. But he, I guess he felt that part wasn't necessary. And his main prayer was that he would be able to say, hail, welcome. And, and we would think if we're going to say, hail, welcome to something, it's going to be something good. 
like a conquering army returning to their own hometown. Hey, welcome. And yet it says, count it all joy. Say, hey, welcome. When you fall into various situations, diverse temptations, situations that can be really, really difficult. Worse, our attitude, our mind is supposed to say, hail welcome. Now, lest I just make this a time of lecturing, uh, what, what kind of things would we say, and don't just answer all things, but what kind of things would we say, hail welcome, and, uh, and I'll answer that. It can be good things, it can be bad things. Hail welcome. But where would we get an idea that we're supposed to say the word of God, but what, I don't want to say what more, but what brings us to the place where something tragic could come into our life? And we would say, hail, welcome. What kind of biblical thinking would bring us to that place? Faith. Pardon? Faith. Faith. And what's your basis of that? Experience. Okay, all right, that's a, that's a fair answer. It's one of the answers. What's your basis of saying, well, faith would bring us to that point? So experience, by that you mean looking over your shoulder? Seeing that God, I like this, I should let you answer. What do you mean by that experience? Well, that, that I've had faith that the Lord would take care of this situation, or he would guide me through the situation. Okay. So that I felt more confidence then the next time. Okay. All right. I have been reading this week, I've been reading through Second Chronicles, which is interesting. The Chronicler... Chronicler, uh, wants us to know, I think his main theme would be, if you obey God, things are going to go well. If you don't, things are not going to go well. I mean, as a nation even, as a king. And boy, there's some kings that did some crazy, stupid stuff. Kind of remind me of me. You know, you think they'd know better, but, but they do it. And, and the Chronicler, in reading through that, it's been, a, it's been a blessing. It's been a challenge. It's been a, oh, wow, why'd they do that? Well, I better not be too critical. But also I've been reading through Spurgeon's, uh, Spurgeon's Gems. And it tells you what sermon it was from and some of the things that Charles Haddon Spurgeon said. And one of the areas that could cause us to say, hey, welcome, would be the recognition that God is a sovereign God. And so if something happens, God is in control. Now, if something happens because of my sin, I need to repent of that. But still, God is a sovereign God. Uh, in the word sovereign, and I think of young people, but all the rest of us as well, in the word sovereign, you see the word reign. So God is sovereign. God reigns supreme. He rules supreme. And so that's one of the reasons I can say, count it all joy. We can say, we won't put them in order of priority, but we could say experience, and then we could say God is sovereign, and the two of those are intertwined, aren't they? Because through our experience, we see that God is a sovereign God. So count it all joy or hail welcome. Anything else that would bring you to that place where you would say, when the world normally says, oh no, that's horrible, where you and I could say, hail welcome, please. Well, when my husband and they said he had two to three months tops to live. It was 
I, everyone was praying to the Lord's will, and, and I thought to myself, Lord, I know what you can do. I just don't know what you're going to do. Yeah. And four years later, he was still here, and they said if he didn't, it didn't come back in four years, it wasn't going to come back. That was a hail welcome, and he lived another. He lived eight years after. Yeah. So that. Good. Was a, a good. Good. Anything else before I move on a little bit on how we can say hail welcome? Well, eternal mindset. Okay, what do you mean by that? Yeah. We're just passing through. And if we can have a if we can have a 70-year mindset of life, we'll be disappointed and we'll think that's not fair. But if we can ask God to somehow help us have an eternal perspective, a mindset on eternity, then that helps. And we are supposed to have that mindset on eternity. The ability to be able to say, hail, welcome, derives itself from those things that we've said, but also derives itself from knowledge of the speaker or of the one who's assuring us, which is not me or not your pastor, it's God. And so as we get to know God better, that's part of the, that's part of the important concepts. Uh, in lectures to my students, uh, excuse me, in Spurgeon's Gems, Spurgeon wrote two of them and I, I read them both. In Spurgeon's Gems, a man said, I can't bring myself to trust Christ. And Spurgeon said, well, will you trust me? And Spurgeon had a good reputation. And the man said, yes, I'll trust you. And he said, well, isn't it infinitely more important that you would trust the Creator? He's more reliable than I am. And interesting, Spurgeon had a way with words. And he would say, and the man replied, yes, I'll trust you, as a man should reply to a, to a minister. And I thought, well, that's interesting because that's not the day in which we live. But evidently in, in those days, uh, a person would say, because you're a minister, I would trust you. And he says, God is infinitely more reliable than I am. So all of this comes from a knowledge of, of knowing God and getting to know him better. Uh, so the way I, oh, it says, and the trying of your faith, James chapter 1, verse 2, the trying of your faith works patience. And that word for patience there is one of my favorite words. The word for patience means a conquering endurance. So the word for patience is, is not just twiddling your thumbs, and saying, oh my, God is so good. But the idea of a conquering endurance is, is just, it's a very active thing. It's not passive. And so even while we're waiting on the Lord, and that may seem contradictory, we're waiting on the Lord and yet it's not a passive thing. Where our, our mind is reeling, our, our life is trying to get to know Him better. And so that we can say, hail, welcome. So first of all, our paradigm or our view, our perspective influences my situation. Secondly, my mind affects my moods. And I am talking about emotionally here. Psalm 55, verse 2. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. Uh, another version, uh, I use the King James Bible. It's what I preach out of. 
I'll look at some other versions also. Another version says, hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught. I shared a little bit last week. I realize all of you weren't here, but I shared a little bit last week about crying unto God uh, a complaint. And I used to be, I used to be against that. Uh, and then I realized through the help of a preacher, even in the last couple of years, that it's all right to complain to God. Be careful that you don't accuse God. Be careful that you don't get angry. Uh, and we used Psalm 13 last week to show that we can offer a complaint to God. I asked my daughter-in-law after my son died, uh, do, you, do you complain? Do you lament? That's the word, lament. This is a lament. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint. And I asked my daughter-in-law if she laments, and she said yes. And I didn't have to explain it to her. She's way ahead of me. I'm just learning about this stuff, lamenting. And she said, yes, I do. And I said, how do you do it so you don't offend the Lord? And she said, I use scripture. Ah, like Psalm 13. I would have said the first part of it, and I'm not going to go there this morning again. But if you read Psalm 13, the first part is complaint, lament. And then the last part is praise. And I would have said falsely, the first part, this, the psalmist was out of fellowship with God. And then he got in fellowship with God and gave us the last couple of verses. And I've since changed my mind. I think it's legitimate for us to, to say to God, my mind knows you're good, but my heart, my heart is aching. And I did share the story of a couple who had a number of miscarriages, some well into the pregnancy. And after, about, I think it was the, the fourth one or maybe the fifth one, the husband walked to the car with his wife and he wants to lead in prayer and he's brokenhearted. They're both crying. The doctor has told him that, that, that she's lost the baby and, and he wants to be a good leader. And before he can pray, his wife says, Lord, I know you're not mean. See, she knows her theology. I know you're a good God. I know you're not mean. But right now it feels like you are. And they both cried in the car together. And now I, I would say be careful. But if, you, if you're like my daughter-in-law, coincidentally, she's remarried. We're very much a part of the family. And I just got a, a picture this morning of her and... And her husband, Jonathan, he's welcomed us into the family. And little Peter, who's three years old, and they're expecting another baby. And she's had a number of miscarriages. And, uh, and she said, I use scripture to lament. And so if you are going to lament, use scripture. Well, how would I find them? About half the Psalms contain some kind of lament. So that's a little off track here this morning. But my mind affects my moods. My thinking determines my feelings. You can choose what you think about. If I'm feeling depressed, it's because I'm thinking depressing thoughts about work, about family, about school. I'll be personal with you about my hip. <laughs> I don't consider myself an old person. I jokingly say I have the energy of a man twice my age, but some people get that and some don't. Uh, I normally, I, I work hard. I use a chainsaw. I, 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 and, some, and this morning when we talked, I said, I did something like, like dragging a deer out. And I said, well, three of them. That probably contributed something to that. 
But I could sit and I'm by myself in the cabin. And that can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. And I've chosen by God's grace to make it a good thing. That's why I'm saturating myself with scripture. I'm saturating myself with things about scripture. Oh, be careful. Be careful that we don't put more influence and more focus on what people say about scripture, like Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, than what scripture itself says. And that's even a danger as we sit like this. Be careful that we don't pay more attention to what the teacher preacher says than, than the word of God. And so while you cannot control your feelings, you can control what you think about, which will control how you feel. Uh, there's an expression called a, a catch-22. That means it's a cycle, and normally it's a negative thing, a vicious cycle. Uh, this can be a good cycle. Think about the right things. Control what you think about, and that will control how you feel. And you can control what you think about by getting in the Word of God. One of the blessings of the psalmist, all of Scripture, but I think specifically of the Psalms, one of the blessings is the psalmist could write things and say things that I feel, and yet I couldn't have come up with those words. So sometimes reading a psalm, say to God, wow, this, this is the way I feel. I wish I had the words that the psalmist had, but, but I don't have his words, but this is the way that I feel. And, and take that to the Lord. Uh, number three. My beliefs influence my behavior. You guys see a progression here? If I were illustrating this, it could kind of be like steps. So my, my paradigm influences my situation. My mind affects my moods. My beliefs influence my behavior. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. So it's one thing to say it, but my beliefs influence my behavior. So if I really believe what God says about fill in the blank, then that ought to influence my behavior. Jesus says, you've got to continue in my word. Then you're my disciples indeed. Uh, another version says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciple. Uh, I have written in my notes here, you always act according to your beliefs. Say, boy, I don't know. Uh. All right, then let me explain. In true Christianity, your beliefs are going to show themselves through your actions. I can say, I love my neighbor. Uh, I've lived next to them for two years, and I don't know their names. I've never witnessed to them. Uh, I've never done anything to help or encourage them, but I really love my neighbor. Well, the truth of the matter is, if we really love our neighbor, we ought to know some of those things. And I realize we're in a, we're in a culture where the word is cocooning. If I wasn't a believer, and if I wasn't a preacher, I would cocoon. Just, just stay in my cabin. Boy, I'll tell you, in March, Terry and I finished special meetings in Eureka with our missionary up there, the Shrepfers. And we, were, we, we finished the meetings, we're done on Thursday. And we had meetings Friday through Wednesday. 
And a couple, that's just when the COVID stuff hit, the middle of March. And people began to see the seriousness of it. And we began to hear the word. We all knew what it meant. Well, maybe we don't know what it means. Mandate. We started getting governor's mandates. And they called me from the office. And I'm the boss. It was kind of humorous. They said, Bill, we don't mean to offend you, but we're not really excited about you and Terry flying across the country and then coming into work. So would you consider when you get back to Michigan, uh, distancing yourself, quarantine, whatever word you'd want to say, for two weeks? And we said, well, yeah, we could do that. If we're going to do it, though, we'd just soon do it in Montana. And so we did. And we only missed a couple weeks of church. The churches that we were scheduled in, I missed some meetings back east. But... Uh, and that's the meetings that I missed. But pretty much things kept going. Anaconda, they kept having church in Anaconda. And I preached there. It's one of my supporting churches. We're still missionaries. And so the idea of cocooning, or, uh, that's attractive to me. So I realize it's not real easy to go get your neighbor and make friends with your neighbor. Those are those maybe days that are behind us. But somewhere along the line, if I really say I love my neighbor, there ought to be some evidences. In true Christianity, this is a bold statement. In true Christianity, you can believe, you can tell what a person believes by the way they act. And the reason I say that is that word itself, believe, the word believe means not only to acknowledge something, but it means to take action. If I'm standing out in the street and I believe a car is coming, and I believe the car is getting closer, and I believe if that car hits me, it's going to kill me, then my belief should cause action. And I should get out of the street. In authentic Christianity, we ought to be able to say, if we really believe something, it's going to affect us. It's going to affect, it's going to affect the way that we react, our behavior. Uh, as an example, now what I'm saying is my beliefs influence my behavior. Uh, as a child, if you believed a shadow was a monster, your body reacted in fear. The truth of the matter is, there was no monster. But if you believed there was a monster, your body reacted in fear. Uh, here's a great story to emphasize my point. It kind of hurts with my reputation as a mountain man, but I was in the Selway Bitterroot Wilderness area, Selway Bitterroot Wilderness area, and uh, in there with a group of teens. We got in there plenty early. It was a horseback trip. Got in there plenty early in the afternoon, and we're setting up camp. And there's a little stream that goes through there. And we said, okay, girls, uh, you go on that side of the stream. And guys, set up your tents on this side. And we strung razor wire between. No, we didn't do that. We didn't do that. And, and then uh, and we helped them get set up. And I was helping a couple young ladies, 15 years old, and they, they said after everyone was set up, we noticed you didn't put up a tent. And I thought, I'd just like to sleep under the stars, okay? So uh, it was excited for those girls. They chose the place way off. And it was excited for them when it was daylight. But as it started to get dark, they said, where are you sleeping? And I said, I don't know yet. And they said, well, could you kind of come over here by us? They weren't quite as excited to be all by themselves when it was getting dark. And so I pitched my tent probably from this wall to that wall, away from the girls. And 15-year-old girls, they talked until 1 or 1.30 in the morning. And you know what 15-year-old girls talked about? 
Yep, they're horses. They each had a new horse, and they were so, one girl had a, I don't, even, I don't know what's happened to the breed. It wasn't real, real popular, but it was gaining momentum. It's called a Montana Traveler, and, it's, and it was registered as such. I don't even know if, the, if they made it or not, but however that all works out. And they, they, talked about, they talked about their horses till about 1.30 in the morning. And I could hear them, you know, high in the mountains. Well, it was grizzly country. And we emphasized with the kids to uh, not put anything in their sleeping bags. Don't take a candy bar to bed with you. And uh, we had actually probably didn't need to do it. It is grizzly country. So we put a tarp out and we put our stuff in it. We mantied it and tied it together. And then we had a, a rock. We actually had a, th a throwing a throwing string with a ball. In this case, I think we actually had a ball. And you throw that over a branch with a little tiny string, and then it's tied to the bigger rope, and then you just, and you, and you scoot your stuff up about 12 feet off the ground and keep away from the grizzly bears. And then you sleep on the ground. It seems like maybe we should put us up in the tree and leave the food on the ground. But, and so it's grizzly country, and I was mindful of that. And I went to bed. And the girls quit talking about 1.30. And I'm sleeping under the stars. And I woke up in the middle of the night and there was a grizzly bear right in front of me. And immediately I, I screamed and nothing came out. And it just, my, my throat, it just, nothing came out. I, I began to perspire immediately, just, just that fast. I reached under my, I used my boots as a pillow. I reached under my, my boots, I had my, 357 probably rather than the 44 and I grabbed my 357 and I came up and the bear is there Of course you can't really shoot a bear unless you're really really in danger. You'd be in big trouble and the bear was gone <sighs> My heart is beaten and I managed to calm down and go back to sleep The next morning I got up and there was some moss around there was a waterfall over here and there's some moss a waterfall and then the creek that we separated the guys and the gals and I went looking for tracks and it would have been easy to see any kind of tracks, especially bear's tracks, especially a grizzly track. And there was no grizzly bear. But my mind thought there was. So my mind and my body responded to the false information. Remember, there was no grizzly. But I'm, I must have been dreaming about a grizzly. And I, I woke up and or I thought I was awake, I must not have been awake when I saw the grizzly in front of me. And so immediately when I screamed, I couldn't, my, my throat was kind of paralyzed. I began to sweat. I, I, I was shaking with fear. How's that for a mountain man? <laughs> and and uh, every area of my life, I, I began to pray. So it affected me spiritually. It affected me physically, all those, it affected me emotionally, I was terrified. What's the truth? The truth is there was no grizzly bear. The false information affected me in every area. That could happen here. I come here to teach you folks. I come here to fellowship with you folks. Uh, I don't come here one-sided. I don't come here, I'm gonna really give to those people. You people give to me when I come. It's, it's a joy to be here. I miss your pastor and family, but it's a joy to be here. So I come here today, I'm excited to teach, and I come and I sit down and I start teaching and I glance over here and this guy right here is sitting like this. And I think, boy, oh boy, he doesn't like me. 
I don't want to do it. Then I lose my place. And what's, what's the right information? Well, I hope the right information is we're glad to see each other. But the wrong information is this guy doesn't believe me, and he's probably looking for error. He's probably looking for heresy. And so I got to be really, I lost my place again. So my, my false thinking affected me. It affected my mind. It affected every area of mind. We got to be really careful. May, what's the bottom line there then? Make sure you get your truth from the Word of God. And we got to be really, really careful because society is bombarding us with everything but the truth. And I'm not one of these paranoid guys, but I will say that you can't get the truth from, from our society these days. Where do we come to get the truth? The Word of God. Well, that's pretty narrow-minded. Yeah. Yeah, if we're going to live the way we're supposed to live in this life, it's going to be pretty narrow-minded. The world's going to look and say, you what? You mean you really believe that? They may give you, you know, the Bible's a good book in a general way. It can give you helpful things, but you actually believe it comes from God? I remember... Uh, George Bush saying that he talks with God every day. And I'm not making any kind of commentary on his spirituality or anything, but boy, was he ever criticized. I mean, we have a president who thinks he talks with God. What kind of crazy thinking is that? We have a president who says he believes the word. Wow, what kind of crazy thinking is that? And yet, if we're going to realize that my beliefs influence my behavior, and we need to realize that ultimately i got to come back to the Word of God. And parents, that's why it's so important that you train your children and challenge your children. Why do you believe that? I don't mean in a harsh way, certainly not in a harsh way. But as an example, do they know why we believe that Jesus is God? Do they know philosophically why it's important? But even more than that, they know biblically where to find that. So when that Jehovah Witness friends talk, and it's okay to have... I better be careful here. I'm not the parent. But it's okay to have unsafe friends as long as you contribute the leadership qualities to that relationship. And that's true of kids. It's true of adults. Uh, parents, you can choose your kids' friends. You know, I actually heard a parent say, well, I can't choose my kids' friends. Oh, yes, you can. And I know it's not an easy thing to do. But, but when that Jehovah Witness friend says they don't believe Jesus is God, sometimes even adults run and hide. We need to teach them to take the Word of God. So the last thing I have here is that's why it's so, the last thing with this point, that's why it's so important that you are operating from accurate information. Your beliefs about yourself, your beliefs about life, your beliefs about others, your beliefs about God, all of this influence your behavior. Uh, I got in trouble with a young man. I say that, he's my son's age. <laughs> He texted me. He, he did, I guess it was on Facebook. I use Facebook as a, a prayer reminder. People all around the country are praying for us, even today, praying for us here. I don't get into a lot of discussions or, or anything like that. Our son, Scott, lost his, uh, he has a bag. It's his insulin bag. And he lost it in Columbia Falls. And it's gone. And he's feeling really bad. First of all, he lost valuable insulin. It's expensive. And it's okay if it gets warm. It'll it, not warm, warm, but it, it, uh, it'll still be good for 30 days. So there's a lot of loss there. But then it was his bag. My son loves leather. My wife is a Chippewa Cree. You wouldn't know by looking at her. 
most of you have seen her. Uh, she's a registered Indian. He's a registered Indian, and he he uh, he likes that stuff, and and he does all kinds of bead work, and he just had a bag that was really really important to him, and so they got to the house the other day for Thanksgiving, and he said he lost his bag, and he's just feeling pretty bad, and she says I put a notice on Facebook. Well, then we're out of contact for three days, and yesterday morning we went into town to have breakfast, and here's someone who called him, and said I found the bag. Would you identify it, please? I found a bag, would you identify it, please? And then my daughter-in-law says, well, would you send a, here's, what, here's what's in it, and would you send us a picture so we know we're not on a wild goose chase? And sure enough, there's his bag. So there's a practical use of the, the Facebook stuff. So I, I use it for that kind of stuff. Well, I had a friend, uh, a young man, who, who used Facebook, and he said, uh, Pastor Bill, what do you think of vampires? What do you think of vampires? Well, my first thought and I hope your first thought is, well, what does the Bible say? Well, we could get our concordance out and look under V and we wouldn't find anything. So dig a little deeper in our mind. What are vampires? Well, they are the undead. And so I wrote this friend back and I said, Jesse, how can you, he said, I believe, what do you think of vampires? I believe there could be vampires. And I said, how could you say that if you have a biblical worldview? Because the Bible doesn't say that we have an undead state. You're alive or you're dead. It's appointed a man once to die. I, says, I said, Jesse, think biblically. Now, what do you think of vampires? And our answer should be, they couldn't be. And then he wrote back, he says, I just asked a simple question. I didn't expect a, a sermon and a lecture. Well, you ask a simple question. We should have, here's, here's a term, we should have a biblical worldview. What does that mean? It means when it comes to any opinion about stuff, come to the Word of God. And, and let the Word of God be your glasses. We see things through the Word of God. Or I'll use a word that's almost, that's frequently taken as a negative word. And I don't mean it to be negative. But the Bible will be your bias. Look at things through the bias of the Word of God. And, and that will help you have then what we would call a, a biblical worldview. And so recognizing that my beliefs affect my behavior, I, I'm, I better make sure I come back to the Bible. What does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about this? And it's not popular, but it's what we should do. Number four, my self-talk influences my self-esteem. When we talk about self-esteem, a better word, you could put it in your notes and and maybe actually write Christ-esteem. Instead of self-worth, it's Christ-worth. So my self-talk influences my self-esteem. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, As he thinketh, as a man thinketh in his heart, and there again the word heart is the center of the being, including and, and really focusing upon the mind. And then it uses the word thinketh, so you know it's talking about the mind. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. I was teaching teenagers. I love to teach teenagers. Terry likes to teach younger kids. She's, teenagers intimidate her. And I was teaching a similar lesson. I, I don't remember a lot about it, but I told the teenagers, be careful you will become what you think about. And it was interactive. 
And one teenage boy raised his hand and says, boy, am I in trouble. And I, I took the bait. I said, okay, what are you thinking? He says, if we become what we think about, I'm going to become a teenage girl. And we all laughed at that. And so I don't mean it from that literal perspective, but as he thinketh in his heart or thinketh in his mind, so is he. Whether you realize it or not, you're constantly talking to yourself. And so in order for you to develop accurate self-esteem or, or Christ-esteem or who you really are, we need to stop running ourselves down. We need to start... We need to view ourselves like God views us. I have been saying for a couple of decades, I would say I have been focused for a couple of decades on finding out what the Bible says about me and then acting accordingly. Not just the fun and good stuff, but even the, some of the serious and, and so-called negative stuff. What does the Bible say about me? And I mentioned to Terry recently, I said, sweetie, I think I can probably start saying three decades, can I? I got saved at 19, so I didn't start this right away, but probably about three decades ago, and I didn't mark the date down, I have been trying to figure out, I have been watching as I read what the Bible says about me, believe it, and act accordingly. If you do that, you won't be putting yourself down. God has a high view of us, not period, God has a high view of us because we're in Christ. And there should be no room for putting us down, putting ourselves down. And, and a lot of people have a tendency to do that. So I have in my notes, you're constantly talking to yourself. If you're going to develop accurate self-esteem because of what God has done, then stop running yourself down. Uh, here's something, a couple things the Bible says about you. Romans 8, 17. If children, or since we are children, almost always in the King James Bible, when you see the word if, it could be translated since. So if children, it doesn't mean if with a question mark. It means since we are his children, we are heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. Wow. I'm an heir. I am an heir of God. I am a joint heir of Christ. There is that sense in which I'm royalty. And if you know Christ is your Savior, so are you. That doesn't mean we get haughty and say, wow, I'm better than anyone else, because in ourselves we're nothing, but in Christ we're something. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And we chuck at that word peculiar and say, yeah, you're peculiar, all right. The word peculiar, I'll try to be brief, but the word peculiar was used of a conquering army, the same as my earlier, conquering army came back with the, with the things they took from the other army and they presented the choice of all they took. It would have been called the spoils. They took the spoils and they gave the best of the best to the king and that was considered the peculiar part. So in, you say, well, there's no battle with us. Yes, there was. In the battle between God and Satan, as the, the, the conquering troops return home, the best of the best is given to God, the king, and it's the peculiar part. That's you. That's the word peculiar means. It doesn't mean we're an oddball, but it means we're the choice of the battle, of the proceeds of the battle. Wow. Something the Bible says about me. A peculiar nation. 
that we should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So watch out for your self-talk. <clears throat> Got to be careful how far you go. I, I actually know a family. Their daughter's beautiful. Just a beautiful, beautiful lady. We were there at the hospital. We were just starting our fourth church in, in Florida. And a young couple started coming to church. And we were at the hospital when the baby was born. Her name is Sydney, and she's beautiful. Uh, she recently married a man. I've, I've kidded my own children, saying we're pretty bland. My kids have traveled sometimes all over the world. Clifford, Clifford, I, I think he was in 16 different countries after he got cancer. And, uh, and I, I quit saying it when they all got married and they married somebody bland. But I would say, I would say, our family needs a little color. We could use a little color in our family. Well, they've got a little color in their family. She married a black man who's as black as any black man that I have ever seen. But they saw her, they're always building up her self-esteem. You're so beautiful. Sydney, you're so beautiful. Until they caught her in front of her mirror one day saying, you're so beautiful. You're so, and they said, okay, we, we made our point. Let's back off on that a little bit. So, so we, we don't want talking about that kind of stuff, but find out what God says about you. All right, number five then. My attitude influences my ability. Mark chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, If you canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out with tears and said, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And this is a story of Jesus healing a child, uh, bringing a child back. I believe that's from, back from the dead. I should have checked that. And, and the guy says, I believe. Well, that could be me. I believe. And then the guy also said, help thou mine unbelief. And I say, wow, that's really me too. It's not like I'm sitting here with no belief. I believe. Lord, help thou mine unbelief. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. Here's some things God says about us. You are complete in him who is ahead of all principality and power. I sometimes want to feel like, say, who, me? I don't feel complete in him. I'll, I'll just confide in you. I had a rough night last night. First night, I couldn't sleep. And finally, about 1.30, I managed to go. My, my leg was hurting so bad from my hip, I think. And uh, boy, when I got up this morning, a little before 6 o'clock, I didn't feel complete in him. <laughs> and yet, the Bible says we're complete in him. That's our positional standing because of what Christ has done. Uh, First Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. If, if you have trouble with your... Christ esteem, self-esteem. Memorize these verses that I have listed under Roman number 5. 2 Peter 1, 3, it says, According as His divine power, He has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Wow. Now, that's not prosperity theology, name it and claim it. Not that at all. But it's talking about the spiritual resources that are ours. He has given unto me all things that pertain to life and godliness? Wow. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. Nay, in all these things, what things? Whatever it is you're going through. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. See, it's not so much as that we need the victory. And don't conk somebody over the head if they, say it, if they don't say it exactly right. But the victory is already secured. We need to walk in the victory that's already ours. Again, I'm referring to spiritual resources, 
We're not talking about houses and cars and land, although God seems to give us that stuff too. And then Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, be careful that the familiar stuff doesn't become, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I know that. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And familiarity should never breed contempt. That's an expression of the world. But for Christians, familiarity could breed apathy. Oh, yeah, I know that verse. All, you know, I can do all things through Christ. Yeah, I know that verse. No, I mean, really. Let's not just hang it on a wall. Let's hang it on our heart. And then the last thing that I'll share here my imagination influences my aspiration. Proverbs 29, verse 18, he says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. When I teach church planting, I get opportunities to teach. I taught at Spurgeon Baptist Bible College, and I taught at, uh, and I'm not a, I'm not a professor, but I, they give me opportunities to go and teach. And <clears throat> I taught at Pillsbury. And then every year I'm able to go to Faith Baptist Bible College. We've, we've already scheduled a weekend it's been about 15 years that we go for a whole week at Faith Baptist Bible College. And uh, in a church planning class, I try to teach guys to be dreamers. Have a goal, have a mission, have a vision. Uh, I remember my pastor, I buried him two years ago. He was 96 years old, my other pastor. And I remember him teaching at the seminary, and he's at the college, excuse me. And he said, the little boy aimed at nothing and hit it every time. And what are your goals? What are your dreams? What are your visions? Even as far as what? Well, being in the Word of God. Most of us here, I better quit here in a minute. I'm, I'm two minutes over. Most of us here could stop learning and still get by. And I hope you're saying, that's bad, right? Yeah, that's bad. But we probably could stop learning and we could still come to church and interact and, and get by in polite Christian circles. Don't let that happen to you. So the basic bottom line here is get a hold of your mind and think on the things of God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, then the end of the verse says, think on these things. You never thought you'd use diagramming sentences in any practical, but you can use it biblically. Whatever things are true, think on these things. Whatever things are honest, think on these things. Just, think on these things. Pure, think on these things. Lovely, whatever things are, think on the, think on the good things. Not just having the power of positive thinking. Well, where do we get the good things? From the Word, and then from the Lord. So, be careful what we think about. That's a good lesson for me today, this week. Trust it's a good lesson for you as well. I said I'd try not to turn it into lecture time, and that's exactly what I did. So any thoughts or comments here at the end? Lord, help us to be the kind of people that think your thoughts. And, of course, help us to be in the Word so we can do so. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.